Welcome to ING's Think Aloud, where we try to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In today's episode... Many countries are still experiencing intense transmission, and the situation in India is beyond heartbreaking. The World Health Organization's Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus says more COVID cases were reported globally last week than in the first five months of the pandemic, amid a devastating second wave in India. With hospitals overwhelmed and supplies running out, the country has called in its armed forces to help, while the US and UK have been leading a global effort to stem the crisis. We're supporting India with vital medical equipment and we will continue to work closely with the Indian authorities. With regard to India, I spoke at length with Modi, the Prime Minister. We are sending immediately a whole series of help that he needs. So why has the second wave in India been so much worse than the first? And what could it mean for the nation's economy and markets? I'm Rebecca Byrne, and today I'm talking to ING senior economist Prakash Sagpal to find out. So Prakash, we've all seen the pictures of what's happening in India, this humanitarian crisis that's been unfolding. But how did we get to this point? Was it a lack of public awareness? Was it poor policymaking? Or was it a mix of both? I think, Rebecca, it's a mix of both. Lack of public awareness about safety measures during such pandemics, as well as uh, poor policymaking in India. India started its battle against uh, the virus uh, with one of the strictest lockdowns in the world at the beginning of the outbreak a year ago. So they could have done a lot better in keeping the disease under control. Unfortunately, lockdowns are easy but not so effective means of curbing pandemics in the most populous countries like India. Indeed, it was quite a miserable experience with haphazardly launched and incoherently implemented uh, containment measures across the country last year. And the ensuing mass labor migration from cities to villages uh, made the matter much worse. The complacency on the part of both people and the government upon relaxation of movement restrictions uh, proved to be disastrous. Indeed, without any support from the government, the large population living on a daily wages uh, was left to ignore social distancing. And the politicians got busy with state elections and public rallies, etc., As if all of this wasn't enough, the farmers all over the country were drawn to street uh, to protest against marketing reforms. Mm. All this kept fueling the pandemic to its disastrous proportion we are seeing today, leaving thousands of people dying in the streets. It's, it's just so terrible. And, and you alluded to this there, but like, unlike in the West, there were no checks handed out to people in India, although there was some fiscal stimulus. How can people abide by lockdown restrictions if they don't have government support? You nailed it, Rebecca. As seen in most countries, not just in the West, but also in Asia, the government support through cash handouts, subsidies, unemployment benefits, All this was critical in helping people to move on with their otherwise restricted lives in this pandemic. India wasn't behind in announcing a hefty COVID-19 stimulus worth over 10% of GDP. However, the majority of the stimulus spending was directed at uh, long-term structural reforms 
rather than immediate help to people to tide over the crisis. The people were basically left to take care of themselves. No cash handouts or subsidies or unemployment benefits, especially to the large segment of people in the country's unorganized sectors. Mm. What about the vaccine? Uh, India is the world's biggest maker of vaccines, but it also has a massive population, doesn't it? So how's the vaccine rollout going over there? India was in the limelight for supplying vaccines to other countries earlier this year. Since January, it reportedly shipped over 60 million doses to other countries, which was more than enough to inoculate the entire population uh, of three metropolitan cities, uh, Delhi, Mumbai, or Calcutta, at least with one dose each. But they have stopped exports as severity of the second wave of domestic pandemic dawned on. And as that happened, the local vaccination drive started to falter uh, due to production shortages. As per the published statistics, about 140 million doses have been administered so far. But only 23 million people have completed the program of two doses. Uh, which is just 1.6% of total population. At an average, 3 million doses a day is going to take two and a half years to inoculate the entire population. In the meantime, they will remain exposed to the virus, multiple waves or variants of it. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in a very good article that you wrote a couple of weeks ago that the hits to the economy during the second wave of covid could be less pronounced than during the first wave, but obviously the situation has continued to get worse since then. So what's the outlook now? Of course, the daily new infections have more than doubled over the last two weeks to about 380,000 currently, and experts projected to be well over 500,000 by early May. Wow. Without sufficient oxygen and hospital beds, this has pushed the country's healthcare system to a complete collapse. So goes the economy without sufficient macro policy support forthcoming. It's a mystery that the authorities aren't coming to terms with this and still maintaining their rosy outlook of, of a double digit growth. Hmm. Indeed, the government isn't stifling the economy this time around as what it did with the three month long nationwide lockdown a year ago. But with increasing number of states going into lockdowns now, the economic damage could be as bad. In my report on India's COVID-19 update two weeks ago, I cut growth forecast for financial area 2021-22 from 9.2% to 7.8%, which is already close to the low end of the market forecast ranging up to double-digit growth. The key assumption here is that at least half the hit to the economy in the current quarter than 25% quarter-on-quarter GDP plunge suffered during the complete shutdown of the economy a year ago. This also assumes more anemic recovery over the rest of this year. However, given the current state of the pandemic, further growth forecast downgrades will become inevitable. I would imagine a worst case scenario of no growth at all in the current year. Right. Wow. Um, but at the same time, you've, you, you did mention in that article that inflation has been rising. So what's been driving that? Will that last? After almost a year of 6% plus rate, 
the consumer price inflation retraced to the center of the Reserve Bank of India's 2 to 6% policy target zone. But that was very briefly. And inflation started moving higher again in recent months. And at 5.5% uh, in March, it's within whiskers of the top end of the target. The supply shocks to food and fuel prices have been driving inflation higher. The government's decision to hike retail gasoline prices in February was an untimely move for the economy reeling from weak domestic demand. Further broadening out of high fuel and transport costs to other inflation components suggests that high inflation trend is your friend for much of this year, while the tighter COVID-19 restrictions are going to pressure prices for everything from basic necessities like food to luxury items like car going forward. Adding to this pressure is obviously weak Indian rupee as this leads to higher import prices, especially of oil prices. Of course. So what does all this mean for um, monetary and fiscal policy going forward? The authorities have used all policy levers since last year to soften the COVID-19 blow to the economy. Unfortunately, that hasn't worked as we are seeing it now. Now, the policymakers have to trade a cautious path of supporting growth without stoking inflation, which is going to be quite a challenge. With already stretched public finances, I think it would be fair to say that the fiscal policy is pretty much dormant without much of additional stimulus likely to be forthcoming from this side. On the monetary side, RBI Governor Shakti Das is prepared to keep the commodity policy setting for as long as possible. But rising inflation continues to frustrate his bid to support the economy. Higher inflation keeps him from cutting policy interest rates further, and it also blunts the drive to pushing yields lower through aggressive bond buying program. No policy rate cut remains my baseline for this year, though I won't rule out 25 to 50 basis points of emergency rate cut, while there is unlikely to be any let up in the RBI's policy to support financial system liquidity. I'm afraid this is not going to do any good until the confidence returns, which is something I won't expect to happen anytime soon. Right. So what does all this mean for the markets? You mentioned earlier that the rupee has been softening. How have the markets been taking this news? Surprisingly enough, the local currency government bonds have been resilient to the recent US Treasury sell-off, as well as to rising domestic inflation. Uh, this may attest to the RBI's policy success in keeping laid on yields as the government taps the market for a record borrowing to plug budget deficit this year. However, the pandemic has dented investor confidence towards the Indian rupee significantly. The rupee is back to be Asia's worst performing currency in April. Not just that, it's the only currency in the region that has weakened against the dollar, US dollar this month with uh, more than 1% depreciation. I'm looking for another 3% of rupee depreciation from now until middle of the year, taking the exchange rate to 76 76.80 against the US dollar. Don't be surprised if it gets there much earlier than that. Okay, ING Senior Economist Prakash Sakpal, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rebecca.
This podcast has been prepared by RNG solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation, or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice, or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content dash disclaimer.